So this is kind of continuing on our last two lessons. If you remember, we talked about what the scripture says about baptism and what the scripture says about communion or the Lord's Supper because those are what everyone calls the two ordinances for the church, right? Uh, and we have a different view on that. Um, we do not practice water baptism and we do not practice a ritual of drinking a little juice and eating a little crackers, right? So we covered in detail um, what the scripture actually says about those two subjects. Um, and so trying to apply that to uh, give you the knowledge and understanding of what that means, um, what your spiritual baptism is, what your spiritual communion is, and how it's better than a water baptism or a ritual of eating grape juice in a cracker is kind of what led me to this lesson uh, today. So we will cover the first two points probably uh, this morning to 11, and then we'll break, and then cover the rest of this. Uh, but the first point is we walk by faith, not by sight. And this phrase comes from 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And it's said in the context of awaiting our glorified body. Uh, Paul's talking about this earthly tabernacle and how we have to... Um, get rid of this in order to have the heavenly tabernacle, right? And that's referring to your body, right? Your flesh here on earth has to die before you can have your resurrected body. And that's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight, right? We walk by faith expecting this glorified body that we will receive, right? We don't have it yet. We're walking by faith that we one day will have it, right? We're trusting in Christ for that eternal life, for that resurrected body, um, it's not something that we currently possess, so we have to walk by faith, right? That's the point that he says. Um, if you look at Romans 8, 22 through 25, you see the same thing here, where Paul is talking about right, receiving this glorified body is a future thing, right? It's something that we look forward to by faith. He says, for we know, in Romans 8, uh, 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Right? So he says we're waiting for the adoption to wit or to witness right, the redemption of our body. Right? We have been redeemed in Christ spiritually. Right? We have salvation. We've been redeemed. But this body has not yet been redeemed. Right? It has to be resurrected and made new. Uh, and that's what we're waiting for, right? to witness that redemption of the body. He says in verse 24, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Right? If I'm hoping for supper... And then I walk into the dining room and there's supper sitting on the table. I see my supper I'm no longer hoping for because I now have it, right? I don't have to hope for supper. I have it, right? I can just eat it. Same thing for your body. If you see your body, right, your heavenly body, if you have it, right, why do you need hope? You don't. You have what you're, you're hoping for, right? So that's what he's saying here, right? We hope for the redemption of our body, right? by faith, because we don't yet have it. Um, and that's what he says. Then do we with patience wait for it. 
Right, so we are to walk patiently on this earth, looking forward to something that will be far greater, right? Which is our heavenly glorified body. And so that's kind of very similar to 2 Corinthians 5, 7, when he's talking about there, when he says we walk by faith, not by sight, because we do not yet possess that glorified body. Um, but not only in uh, regards to waiting for your glorified body, but it's your walk here on earth, right? That should affect your whole walk, right? Not just saying, well, I'm waiting for a new glorified body. We well, can walk for the Lord and go through torment, right? Go through persecution, living for the Lord, because you know this isn't my final home, right? This isn't all there is. There's life after this that's far better, right? And so that should affect how you walk. And so you're walking by faith, not by sight. Uh, we do learn from Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the substance and evidence of things hoped for but not seen, right? And it's not just faith itself, but it's what your faith is in, right? Someone might say they have faith in science. Well, that's a, a false faith, right? That's not going to save them by faith in science, right? It's what your faith is in uh, that has substance, right? My faith could be in a little child to save me. There's going to be no substance there because it's a little child, right? I need to be the one saving the child if there's danger, right? And so it's what your faith is in that gives the substance, right? And of course, our faith should be in God. But there in Hebrews 11, 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Right? And so they give the example here of things. Uh, we understand that the worlds were framed uh, by the word of God by faith. No one was there to see God speak the world into existence. Right? We believe it by faith. Um, it says the things that do appear are not the things that created the things we see. Right? Which is what evolution teaches. Right? The things were here. And they created the things that we now see. Right? That's not what it says. It says it was by the word of God, right? The world's refrain said the things which are seen today were not made by things that appear. Right? They were made by the word of God. And so we believe creation was spoken into existence by the word of God by faith, right? Because no one was there to see it. But we do see it now, right? And so we believe by faith God created it. Um, but you've heard the phrase, seeing is believing, right? Uh that is not how we live uh, in this dispensation. We do not live according to that phrase, but rather um, hearing the word of God is believing. Right? If you look at Romans 10, 17, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Right? You have faith by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Right? You don't say, well, let me see your salvation, God. Right, let me see my redeemed body before I believe it. Right? You have to hear the word of God and put your faith in that. Right? That's walking by faith, not by sight. Right? And so it's not seeing is believing, but rather hearing the word of God is believing. Your faith should be in the word of God when you hear it. Uh, this is what Ephesians 1.13 says concerning our salvation. Paul says, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believe you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Right? And so he says you trusted that word, uh, the gospel of your salvation, uh, that you believed after you heard it. 
right? The word of truth. Uh, so we hear the word of God, and then we put our faith in it. All right, so hearing is believing today. Right? You hear the word of God, and you put your faith in it. Um, think about your salvation, right? Again, you don't see the things that happen to you. Justification, righteousness imputed to your account, right? God counting you righteous in Christ. You don't see these things. Forgiveness, it's not something you can see, right? But you believe it to be true because you heard it from the word of God that if you trust in Christ's death and resurrection, he will give you these things, right? And so you can see how uh, in this dispensation, our salvation, right, how we live, uh, it's all by faith, right? It's not by sight. It's not by things we can see, Right? So that's important to remember when you're going about your daily life. Uh, but this is what I'm going to call uh, a more excellent mindset. Right? Uh, if you go to 2 Corinthians 4, 15 through 18, right, walking by faith is a more excellent mindset than saying, I have to see it to believe. Right? Because, again, you can't see justification. You can't see forgiveness. You can't see righteousness being imputed to you. You have to believe it to have it. Um, but if you look at 2 Corinthians 4, 15 through 18, Paul says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction is uh, but for a moment, working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. All right, so again, going back to your redemption, your heavenly body that you will receive, that should affect, again, how you live. That should be your motivation for how you live here on earth. Right? Again, you don't live for the easy life as far as this physical body being tormented. Right? We do the things to make sure I have the less pain as possible here on earth because there's something far greater after this. That's what Paul says. He says we go through these afflictions uh, for your sake uh, because it's for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Right? Paul was looking for something further right? that has a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Right? Uh, he says we don't look at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Right? They're temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Right? This is a more excellent mindset to have the mindset of let me look at things that are eternal, not things that are temporary. Um, Romans 8.18. And again, this, this mindset is what should give you encouragement when you do go through suffering and things, that this isn't all there is. Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Again, you think about Paul and all the torment and uh, sufferings that he went through. This was his mindset. Right? He reckoned that the sufferings of this present time weren't even worthy to be compared right, to the glory that will be revealed in us. He says it's not even worthy to sit there and say, well, I'm getting some torment here. You know, is it worth the torment for the eternal weight? You know, maybe I shouldn't have this torment and just forget about the eternal weight. Right? It wasn't even worthy to be compared. Right? He says this is nothing compared to what I will uh, receive in glory. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. Sorry, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It says, If 
ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So again, the same thing here, right? Your life is hid with Christ on high. Right? That is your eternal life. That is where, when you receive your glorified body, is when Christ appears. Right? So you need to set your affections on heavenly things, right? on the spiritual things, not on the earthly, right? not on the things that you see, but by faith, the things that you will one day have. Right? So again, this is what I am calling the more excellent mindset, right? setting your mind on things that are future, on things that are spiritual, right? on your uh, glorified body that you will receive when Christ appears. Right? Um, when you think of that, it's not even compared to what you're going through today. Um, so again, you have to look forward uh, and not at the present. This is what Paul talks about in Philippians 2, where he talks about pressing towards the mark. Or it's not a mark of attaining some uh, reputation here on earth for Christ, right? No, it's not about your reputation. Right? The mark that Paul was pressing toward there, when you read the context, was his resurrection. Right? And so he says, that's what I'm pressing toward, that's what I'm looking at, is that I'm one day going to be with Christ. Right? So he says, I forget the things that are behind because they're behind me now, right? They don't matter. I'm pressing towards that, right? And you see that all throughout Paul's epistles where he talks about this mindset of setting your affections on things that are to come, right? On the spiritual, right? Setting your mind on that and uh, looking towards that instead of at your present situation. So that is the more excellent mindset. So the next point is we are to walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. Romans 8, 1 through 5 encourages us to do this. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And go to Galatians 5, 16 through 21. He says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the flesh of the lusts. Or the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past. That they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Alright, so you have this uh, instruction to walk after the Spirit, right? To walk in the Spirit and not in your flesh. And so we need to define what the flesh is. Okay, the flesh is carnal, it's earthly, it's after the natural man. Right? It's things of the earth, it's this here, right? Your flesh. Um, and you see this in Romans 8, 6 through 7, just to give a definition recent passages here. It 
Paul says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So you see there, the flesh is what he was talking about in Romans 8, 1 through 5. Uh, he uses the word carnal, right, as a the same word, right? They go hand in hand, carnal minded, fleshly minded, right? The carnal mind, or the mind after the flesh, is enmity against God. If you look at Romans 15, 27. This is when Paul is taking up the contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Right? He's trying to collect money to give to the poor saints there. He says, It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Right? And so the word flesh does not automatically mean sin. Right? It means, again, fleshly, after the natural man, earthly, things of the earth. Right? And that's what Paul says here. It's your duty to minister unto them in carnal things. If fleshly and carnal automatically meant sinful, then Paul is saying you need to minister unto them in sinful things. Right? You see that? It's carnal things, things of the earth. What he's saying is you receive spiritual things that uh, from the Jews... And so it's your duty to minister unto them carnal things, things of the earth, right? Money, in this instance, so that they could buy food to live, right? There's nothing sinful about buying food to live, right? But it is something earthly. It's fleshly, right? Uh, so you need to understand that flesh does not automatically mean sin, right? It doesn't automatically mean blatant wickedness. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. Paul says, And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not yet carnal? Alright, so they were worried with things in the flesh, right? Well, I'm after Paul, I'm after Apollos, right? Uh, so Paul says you got these divisions, right? You're striving one with another because you're carnally minded. You're looking at things in the flesh, right? He says, I can't give you the spiritual meat. I have to give you the carnal things, right? I have to explain the earthly things to you first before I can give you the spiritual things because you're carnally minded, right? They're worried about things uh, on the earth, right? They didn't have that spiritual mindset. Uh, so that's the definition of the flesh, right? It's carnal. It's earthly. It's after the natural, Right, that's what the word flesh means. Um, walking according to the flesh, as I said, does not always mean blatant wickedness. Uh, again, give you more definition here. Romans 1 3, Paul says that Jesus Christ uh, was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So, again, Jesus Christ, according to the flesh, was made of the seed of David. And of course, that fulfills prophecy, but it just shows you that that word flesh means. Jesus Christ in his fleshly human body, right, was of the seed of David. Um, of course, we know Jesus was without sin. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.16. Paul says, Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. All right, we didn't know Christ after sin. All right, that's not what it means here. We, did, we knew Christ after the flesh, meaning... At that time, they used to know Christ in his earthly body, right? 
that's his fleshly body that he did, had here on earth. But we don't know him that way anymore because he's had his heavenly body now. He died, resurrected, has a heavenly body, and is in heavenly places. Right. So we no longer know Christ after his fleshly, earthly ministry, is what Paul is saying. And so that word uh, flesh does not mean, again, uh, blatant wickedness. You can do religious things in your flesh and not be walking in the spirit. Right. So again, it's not just like uh, murder, right? which I think when people hear right, walking in the flesh, that's what they think. Oh yeah, that's people that go out and commit murder and they're getting drunk all the time and they just cuss out everybody and have a horrible temper. Right, they walk after the flesh. Right? Well, you can do religious things and still be walking in your flesh because that word flesh means earthly, carnal. Right? Um, it means after the natural man. If you look at Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Paul says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or the new moon or the Sabbath days. So meat, drink, holy day, new moon, these are all fleshly things, right? These are things of the earth. These are things uh, after the natural man. He says, Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he have not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and all will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh." So what he's saying here is there are people out there who would beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility. In other words, what he's saying is people put you under these rudiments of the world, these laws, right? And it's a show of like a false humility, right? I don't touch that. I don't taste that. I don't do that, right? I don't eat pork, right? And in their flesh, they think they're doing something spiritual, and they have this false humility, right? Look at me. I'm, I'm not doing that, right? I'm humble. I obey the Lord. I keep his law. Right? Paul says that's a false humility. They're trying to fulfill their flesh, um, that fleshly desire to say, I'm serving God. Right, But it's things they're doing in their flesh. They're trying to keep rules and commandments that we're not even under. Right, There's nothing spiritual about it, Right, which is sin, because you're living in your flesh thinking you're doing something spiritual. Does that make sense? Right, Touch not, taste not, handle not. He says these are commandments of men. And if you're doing it, if you're fulfilling some type of... Um, false humility right in your flesh, which really is going to puff you up and give you pride, right? And so you can be doing religious acts, but still be living and walking after the flesh, right? Uh, there in Galatians 5, uh, 16 through 17, in that list of sins that he gave, one of them was heresies, right? So you have preachers that get up and teach heresies, right? Which means they're walking after the flesh. People will look at them and say, Oh, they're such a great man of God, right? They're so spiritual. They don't do these certain things. Again, that's things they're doing in their flesh, right? And if they're teaching heresies, they're walking after the flesh, not after the spirit, right? And so again, you have to be uh, weary of when you hear that word flesh and people talking about don't live in your flesh, it doesn't mean automatically murder, adultery, right? 
things of this nature, right? It does mean that and includes those things, but it can be anything in your earthly body, right? That's not after the Spirit or the Word of God. So you need to be guarded against that. Uh, but walking after the Spirit means walking according to the Word of God. Look at Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. This is a good connection to make. Paul talks about spiritual songs, singing songs, uh, in two of his epistles. One is Ephesians, the other is a Colossians. You see, you can make a cross-reference between the two. He says here in Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, he says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he has there, don't be drunk with wine, right, when they're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he tells you how to do that because it's not a period there. It's a, uh, we call it a semicolon. He says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. All right, so singing songs, spiritual songs, right, hymns, spiritual songs, uh, making melody in your heart, apparently is how you can be filled with the Spirit. Uh, if you go to Colossians 3.16 and do this cross-reference, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So in Ephesians 5, uh, you have, Be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians 3, you have, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So apparently being filled with the Spirit is also letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? It's having the word of God dwelling in you. And one way to do this, which is what we sing here, is singing spiritual songs, right? Singing doctrinal songs, because that helps you to remember the doctrine, right? You can sing to yourself when you're by yourself, right? Doctrine, right? You can sing doctrine to yourself, which helps put it in you, right? That helps keep the word of God dwelling in you richly helps you be filled with the Spirit because it's doctrine uh, in you. And so you can make that cross-reference cross to see uh, that being filled with the Spirit or walking in the Spirit is the same as walking according to the Word of God, right? Um, if you look at 1 Thessalonians 2.13, right, you've heard people say the Spirit's working in him or that person is just full of the Holy Ghost. Paul says here, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as it was the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Right? So Paul says, You Thessalonians, you received the word of God, and you believed it, and it worked effectually in you. Right? So the word of God was in them working. Right? People say, Well, the Spirit's working in that person, which is true. But it's because the Word of God is in that person working, right? They're believing the Word of God, and it is working effectually in them. Uh, so you see how these two things are, uh, they have a connection. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Paul says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Right, all scripture is given by inspiration. Right, you see that word spirit in the word inspiration. Right, the spirit is the one that gave the word of God. Right, we'll look at that in a little bit. Um, 
So if it's the Spirit giving the Word, and it's the Word working in you, then it's the Spirit filling you, right? You see how that works? Um, so again, a lot of people make it some filling, some thing you have to show by speaking in tongues or whatever. Uh, you have to be, right, make a show of something in order for people to say, oh, that person's filled with the Spirit. Whereas the Scripture teaches those who are walking according to the Word of God, and the Word of God is effectively working in them, those are the people that are walking in the Spirit. Right? Those are going to be the people that aren't fulfilling their fleshly desire because they have that more excellent mindset of setting their affection on things above, on the spiritual. Right? They're looking at those things and not things on the earth. Um, but this connection between the Spirit and the Word of God you see all throughout Scripture. If you look at 2 Samuel 23, 2. says the spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. Right, so notice the spirit of the Lord spake and it was his word that was in David's tongue. So the spirit again spake through men of old. Right, As it says in 1 Peter, the Holy Ghost spake by the mouth of David. It says in Acts. Right, so again the spirit is the one that spake the words of God right, through the prophets. Um, Isaiah 59 21 As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of thy, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. So notice there it's the spirit that is upon thee, and the words that I have put in thy mouth. So spirit and words. So again, you see this connection there between the spirit and the word. Micah 2 7. says, O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? So again, you have uh, the spirit here, the spirit of the Lord straightened. Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Right, so you think about the law that God gave. That's what he says, do my words not do good to him that walketh uprightly? Well, how can words do good to someone? It's because if they obey the word, Right, the Spirit will bless them. Right, so again, you see that connection. The Word and the Spirit go hand in hand throughout Scripture. Uh, Zechariah seven twelve. It says, "Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law, and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in His Spirit." by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. So you see here that they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit. Right, so again, he sent the words through his spirit, and they didn't want to hear these words, right? Because they didn't want them uh, to obey them. And so instead, they received wrath, right? Because that's what you had under the law. If you don't obey the law or make your heart as a stone and don't receive it, 
you receive the judgment, right? First uh, Corinthians two thirteen. Paul says, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So Paul says the things that he speaks are not with man's wisdom, or what man's wisdom teaches, but what the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Uh, But what you have to notice here is that you can't have the Holy Ghost teaching you if you don't have the words being spoken. So Paul says we speak... Uh, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. All right, Paul is speaking words that the Holy Ghost teacheth. All right. So again, without the words, you don't have the Holy Ghost just coming and teaching someone. All right, that's not happening today. You have to have the words of God. Uh, Ephesians six seventeen. This is the spiritual armor that is a popular passage many talk about. But Paul says, "Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit." which is the Word of God. Right, so if you want the sword of the Spirit, then you have to take up the Word of God. So again, you see this connection all throughout Scripture between the Spirit and the Word of God because it is the Spirit that gave these words. The Spirit spake by the Holy Prophets. Right? The Spirit spake through Paul. Right? And so these words that you have here are the Spirit's words, and if you want to be filled with the Spirit, then you need to believe the words that the Spirit gave so that they can work effectually in you, and you can walk after the Spirit. Right? It's not something that can be done. You cannot walk after the Spirit if you have never read the Word of God. Okay? So, people that all of a sudden say they get saved and say they're filled with the Spirit can't be done because they don't know the words of God yet. Right? Uh, so you have to know the words of God if you want to be filled with the Spirit. So having the, uh, God's words written down so that you can read them, so that you can understand them, so that you can believe them, so that you can be filled with them, so that you can walk according to them, is more excellent than having an experience or living according to a feeling or waiting for God to give you a fresh word, right? Because you hear people say this a lot, right? Well, I had a fresh word of the Lord today. Well, you might want to write it down in the Bible, right? Because if it's the word of God, we need it written down so other people can read it. Because that's how that works. Um, But you have the complete word of God. Right, which is again a more excellent thing. You can read them, you can understand them, you can believe them so that they can work in you, and you don't have to wait for a feeling, you don't have to wait for an experience, you don't have to wait for a preacher or pastor to give you the fresh word of God because you have it uh, in a book. And so, again, you see this throughout scripture Nehemiah 8 8. The job of teachers and preachers is not to give you a fresh word of the God. A fresh word from the Lord. It's not to pray for you and lay hands on you so that you can receive some type of experience. <clears throat> it's to do what Nehemiah did here. It says, So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So, of course, we don't teach the law today. We're not under that. But it's the same principle, right? We teach the word of God. And as a teacher... Your responsibility is to read it, first of all. When you go to church and they don't read the Bible, you probably should stop going to that church. Uh, but they read in the book the law of God distinctly, right? So distinctly the law of God. 
and then they give the sense and cause the people to understand the reading, right? That's the purpose of the teacher, to read the word of God and to try to cause the hearers to understand what it is saying. Uh, Romans 2, 17 through 18, talking about a more excellent way, Israel in time past, under the law, that was a more excellent way than what the Gentiles had, right? Because they had uh, the word of God. It says in verse 17, uh, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. Right? The law taught the will of God right, to Israel. And so they had something more excellent than the Gentiles because they had the law of God. Right? They had his words. Right? So again, you see again this importance of the words of God and having them. Uh, the Gentiles did not have that. Right? So they did not have something as excellent as what Israel had because Israel had the law of God and could know his will. Um, Ephesians 3, 4, Paul talking about the mystery. Uh, verse 3, he says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So apparently you have to read what Paul wrote to understand right, his knowledge in this mystery that was revealed to him. So again, there's an importance of having the words of God and then a responsibility to read them. Uh, Colossians 4, verse 16. Paul says, And when this epistle is read among you, calls that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So again, Paul says, After you've read this epistle in Colossa, make sure you go to the church of the Laodiceans and read it there too, right? Because they have to read it to have the information, right? To be able to understand the mystery that Paul was making known. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 27. It says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. So again, there's an importance here of making sure this epistle is read to all the holy brethren. Make sure everybody gets to hear it. Make sure it's read to all of them. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.13 Paul's instruction to Timothy, who was a pastor, was not to pray that the Spirit fill you, right? Um, although that, of course, is what would need to happen to Timothy. But it's not how people do it today, where it's right, praying and waiting for some filling or experience. But here he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So he tells Timothy to give attendance to reading, right? Something that he needs to attend to, right? He needs to be doing it constantly, right? Give attendance to reading. And of course, it's reading the Word of God, right? Because you have to know what the Word of God says if you're going to be able to understand it and walk according to it, right? Uh, and then Revelation 1.3, another example. It says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Right? And of course, this is for those who are going to go through the tribulation, not for the body of Christ. But those who are going to go through the tribulation will be blessed when they read this, um, and hear it, and then keep it. Right? 
uh, because that's what's going to keep them from falling away, right, and following the Antichrist. Uh, so they will be blessed if they read the book of Revelation and then keep the things written therein. And so you see all throughout Scripture this importance of reading the Word of God. Right? That's why he gave his Word to be read. Otherwise, what's the point? Right? Oh, God wrote his book, you know, he's an author. No, that's not the point, right? He read the words for us that we can have them and utilize them, right? And so if you want to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit, you need to give attendance to read you need to read the Word of God. You need to believe it so that it can work effectually in you, right? And so again, uh, as I kind of alluded to, this guards you against the charismatics, right? Who say, you haven't ever spoken tongues? Right? Well, maybe you're not saved. We need to pray for you, and you need to pray that the Lord fills you with the Spirit. Whereas you can say, well, I'm going to actually speak to myself in songs, spiritual songs and doctrine, and I'm going to read the Word of God and believe that so that I can actually walk every day in the spirit, right? And his word can work effectually in me. I don't have to wait for some experience, right? Because I'm just going to go about my life until I have that experience, right? Because it may never happen. So again, you can see how this is a more excellent way uh, walking after the spirit and not after the flesh. And you can do it just by simply reading and believing uh, the word of God. So we will stop there for now and we will pick it up. Uh, we break. But any thoughts or questions?